Um, Alid, as you can well imagine, is massively involved in all the changes to this auditorium and everything going on. And if the truth be told, he has probably spent too long doing that this week. And I know it's been a bit of a struggle to find time for the Word of God. Now, I believe God really wants to speak to us through Romans 6. And the power is in the Word, not in Alid. But why don't we just stretch out our hands to Alid right now. Lord, we want to pray for a double anointing of your Holy Spirit to be upon Alid right now. We thank you for who he is as a gift of a man, Lord God. And I pray for an anointing right now. Come fill him. I pray he'd know your tangible presence resting upon him. And I ask you, your word would go out with great power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Oh. Oh, God, we are so grateful. Oh. God, we are so grateful for the gospel. We're so grateful that you would look beyond all that we were to restore us for everything we, what you planned for us to be. We say we love you. We love you. Man, what a wow, powerful time of worship just... Great, so we're in a new series looking at this book of Romans. Uh, it's, uh, so we've called it The Gospel, uh, God's Power for Christian Living. For Christian Living. And uh, I'm convinced, I am convinced that the very foundation and the success of what it is to live Christ-like, if we're to walk in the fullness of what Christ has done for us, if we're to reign in life, which is something we heard about last week when Paul preached, the very foundation and success of that Christian living lies in, I believe, the revelation, the understanding, and the living out of our new identity in Christ Jesus. I firmly believe that. And what we heard last week uh, was that our identity and our position really matters, whoever you are. So if your identity and your uh, value uh, is wrapped up in the choices and the opinions and maybe the approval of those around us, then our identity is free to fluctuate, isn't it? Up and down, depending on what's around us. So maybe one day you're favoured, but the next day you're maybe overlooked. One day you're headline news, the next day you're yesterday's news. One day you may have titles and responsibilities. The next day, they might go to someone else, and they may do a job better than you did. Once you've had maybe a successful career, and for whatever reason, maybe you can't do that anymore. Maybe you have a privilege to be like a parent, but they grow up, and they become independent, and they move out. And we hear people say things like, now my kids have gone, I don't know who I am anymore. We can put our identity, we can put our value in so many different things. And actually, society tells us that it's what we do that makes us who we are. Isn't that interesting? In fact, just a few weeks ago, I bumped into an old colleague of mine that I used to teach with. And really interestingly, one of the first things we asked one another is, well, what do you do now? Isn't it interesting? One of the first things that we see is the value of a person. Is, what is it that we are doing we have phrases like, what can they bring to the table? As though their value as a person is in what they're able to do for us, not them as a person. 
And our identity can be wrapped up in all these kinds of things. But when your identity is in Christ, you're always favored. You're always approved. You're always adopted. You're always accepted. It's not about what we do and what we achieve. It's what Christ has achieved on the cross for us. Hallelujah. And it's this new identity that Paul kind of spoke about last week that enables us to reign in life. Some of you may have even been asking that question, man, how, what does it look like to reign in life? Not one that actually seeks man's approval, but one that seeks the approval of God. Not one that brings glory to self, but one that desires to bring glory to God in every situation, however difficult. One that doesn't serve my needs anymore, but one that actually serves God in meeting the needs of those people around me. See, the gospel of the world is one of self. It's one of me, whereas the gospel that we are saved into when we are Christians is a gospel of Christ. It's one of the author and perfecter of our faith. This identity, this, this gospel is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, this almighty one, the alpha, the omega, the advocate, the author, the perfecter, the way, the truth, the life, the cornerstone, the deliverer, faithful, true, shepherd, servant. These are all in the Bible, by the way. King of kings, lamb of God, light of the world, Lord of all, mediator, Messiah, mighty one, hope, peace, redeemer, savior, resurrection, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting one. Jesus, he is the chain breaker. He's the miracle worker. He's the promise keeper. He's the light in the darkness. That's who he is. So when we're in Christ, how do you reign in life? We put our hope and our trust in the one who has come to dwell inside of us. He is the one who reigns. We're secure in him. Do you know what? I woke up today and he is the same. Isn't that good news? I woke up today and he's the same. We need to be careful of a gospel that serves us and doesn't transform us. It doesn't transform us. We don't only have a confession of faith, we have a transformation of life. That is the demonstration to the people around us. We don't just say, God is an add-on to my life. No, my old life is done away with. I have a transformation of life. That is what demonstrates the gospel. And uh, Christianity isn't actually about survival until the end. Actually, God didn't just save you so that you'd go to heaven when you die. God saved you so that heaven, the kingdom, can come inside of you to impact those around you. This is a living thing for today. So if I'm hidden in Christ, it says in 2 Peter 1, I have everything I need for life and godliness. Everything. That there is, I lack no good thing, it says in Psalm 34. The boundary lines for us have fallen in really good places. Why? Because we're in Christ. Do you know what? No one should have to treat me right today for me to be okay in light of what he has done. Do you hear that? I have everything I need. My identity is not based on people's comments or their views or their approval. It's based on the approval of God through his gospel of grace. So, you know, it's, it's okay. I'll get into the scripture in a minute. I'm ranting, I know. It's, it's, okay. it's okay to pray for a good job 
It's, it's okay to pray for health and these things. The Bible tells us, bring our prayers and petitions to him. That's good. But if you don't get that job, or if you are sick, it does not change who you are. It doesn't change who you are. There's um, a, a friend of ours who was part of this church. He sadly died of cancer. But in those last weeks and months, if you said to him, how, how are you doing? He would say something along the lines of, my body is really sick, but my soul is well. In other words, my body might fail me, but Jesus never will. He never will. And the thing that is so powerful about the good news of Jesus is that we're no longer a product of what we go through. We're a product of what he went through. Hallelujah. For some of us, we're so preoccupied and our mind is so full of the things and experiences of life. Jesus lived life. And you know what? It's, we are a product, a product of what he went through. Not what you're going through. Okay, so as we're a Christian today, it's already given all of it's not about my accomplishments. And in the process of doing this, it's about his and Paul's focus has very much been on the future. Remember, you can do that in your own words. You don't need that being guilt and condemnation. Maybe really being really ashamed of what you've done or who you think you are. Friends, today as we take the bread and wine, it's an opportunity for you to reflect on the full acceptance, peace with God, standing in the shower of the grace of God. It's a time for us to think on that future hope. Maybe for you, suffering is just a big thing. Maybe life is just tough and painful and you're a bit fed up. Friends, today's a day to look ahead to the day when all that ends. All that will seem like light and momentary affliction compared to the glory we enjoy then. It's a chance to look back and look what God has done for me. How can I doubt that he will do that for me? We're going to worship there. Bread and wine are here. If you're here today, you're not a Christian. We encourage you not to take this, just it doesn't really mean much to you. If you're here, you're a Christian from a different church, please feel very free to take it. We take the bread, remembering the body of Jesus broken for us. We drink the wine, remembering the blood of Jesus poured out for us when Christ died for us and we were still sinners. Jesus, the Jesus, you're listening in thinking, this stuff sounds amazing, that hope sounds amazing. Look what God has to you that we have a hope of Christ. Is every day we rejoicing our suffering, we rejoicing God. And just in the last... And Paul's focus is a moment of difficulty taken away, enjoying perfect, perfect communion with God. Which is a bit of a funny way to start. And Paul's focus is very much being on the future. Our, our hope, that future salvation from the wrath of God. And just in the last verse, he kind of brings us back to the present for the moment. He wants us to reflect and a glory in that, but he also wants us to not overlook what we've got now. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he says through whom we have now received reconciliation. We rejoice in our hope, verse 2. We rejoice in our sufferings, verse 3. We rejoice in God himself because now we have reconciliation. It's back to the full acceptance. He's come full circle. We are reconciled, brought back to God, back to relationship with him. Paul wants us to know that if we've been justified by faith right here, right now, in this life, then all of these things are true for us. And we can have utter certainty that when the day comes and we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as every single one of us will, 
we will be accepted. We will be justified. We will be welcomed into eternity with him. This is a promise for us. It is a reassurance for us. And in the process of doing this, Paul has laid out these two foundations of Christian living. Foundation number one, that we have total and utter acceptance by God. No more condemnation, no rejection. Welcomed in, loved and delighted over by God. Stood under grace. And foundation two, that we have a hope, a sure and certain hope to rejoice in. Which grows and is confirmed as we experience God's love through his spirit and looking at his acts. And grows that we think, look what God has done. Of course he will do that for us. All these things I said flow from being justified by faith. I said it, maybe you're here today and you've never made that kind of response to Jesus. You're listening in thinking, this stuff sounds amazing. That hope sounds amazing, but I know it's not yet mine. Friend, the invitation is there to you today. Jesus says, come to me and he will rescue you. He will save you. Jesus, you're listening in thinking, look what God has done. Of course he will do that and to that we have a hope a sure and certain hope to rejoicing which grows and is confirmed as we experience God's love through his spirit and looking at his acts and grows that we think look what God has done of course he will do that for us all these things I said flow from being justified by faith I said it, maybe you're here today and you've never made that kind of response to Jesus you're listening in thinking this stuff sounds amazing that hope sounds amazing but I know it's not yet mine friend the invitation is there to you today Jesus says come to me and he will rescue you he will save you he will transform you to him the Bible says we're that power and control of sin was broken at the cross. Praise God. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And how amazing is that grace? Isn't it? So I'm just going to pick out just a few headlines um, that have kind of stood out to me as I've been looking at that over the few hours this week I've had. And actually, all of them, if I'm honest, they're going to lead back to this idea that we can reign in life, all right, which is something we heard in chapter 5 last week. Or in verse 4, we heard about this newness of life. What does it actually look like? Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. So first thing, I, uh, the first kind of thing we see and probably the main theme of this passage is this. We are dead to sin and alive in Christ. All right? So say this with me. I am dead to sin and I'm alive in Christ. Okay. So last week Paul talked about, if you were here, if not, I'll just briefly just kind of summarize for you. He, he kind of talked about almost like two family trees. And he was saying that you can only be part of one or the other. There's no middle ground. You're either in one or the other. And he explains how all of us were born in Adam. All right, We're all born in sin, under the control of sin. Sin, if you like, was the norm in our lives. And when Jesus talked uh, in John's Gospel, you see, Jesus talked about being born again. And it was to talk about this transaction from one family, going from one family tree into another. 
It says this, he's, he basically, this is what he meant. He said, through faith in him, you can be born into this new family, this new family tree. And within this family, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer under sin's control, but you're free to choose life and to reign in life. Why? It says, because the power of sin, the control of sin was disarmed and defeated at the cross because of what Jesus did. So there's only two families, two positions, two identities, if you like. It's one which is of Adam, which is the identity of self and striving, or it's one of identity in Christ, being positioned in his family, where it's all about him and his grace and what he has done in our lives. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And what the Apostle Paul is trying to get us to understand here is that if you're in Christ, everything has changed. Everything is different. It's like, it's like you are a page now of a book. You are in Christ. You are inseparable. You, you are now at peace with God. And listen, it means that peace, God, is now at peace with you. That's what it means. We are in Christ. And the, and the enemy loves to blur the lines, don't they? The enemy loves to blur the lines. The enemy, Satan loves to question where we are, where our identity is, our position, and particularly, I think, when it comes to this whole issue of sin, all right? So we're just going to spend a few minutes unpacking uh, what we think is in here. What Paul isn't saying here is that if you're a Christian, you won't ever sin. Because I don't know about you, but even this week, I'd say there have been things in my life that I'm, I think, man, that wasn't God's best for me. I shouldn't have said things in that way. I shouldn't have thought things in that way. So it doesn't mean that if you're a Christian, you never sin. Otherwise, Paul, as we'll go on in a minute, won't talk about fighting sin in our lives. All right? So that's not what he means. But what he is making clear is this, and this is true if you are a believer here today, the power of sin is no longer over your life. The power of sin has been broken, it's been disarmed, it's been defeated on the cross. The enemy loves to lie to us and say that our righteousness is somehow dependent on living this good Christian life. But our righteousness will always be based on Jesus' perfect life. But you know, we can all be sucked into this thinking that although we're saved by Christ, although there was that moment where I said, oh, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin, yet so often for many of us, since that day when we invite Jesus into our life, when we get things wrong, we feel it has somehow made us dirty or robbed us of the righteousness that was impeded on us at the cross. As though we can somehow lose it. But if I'm in Christ, I am a new creation. I've been born again, no longer in Adam, no longer under the power and the control of sin, but I've been reborn. When God looks at me, he says, I am a righteous one. I'm a righteous one. It says in the Bible that Jesus became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. Why? So that we could have the righteousness of God. We could become the righteousness of God. So let me just put it this way. Sin for the Christian is no longer a legal issue. It's a relational one. All right? Let me explain what I mean. When we failed to meet the requirements of the law, so God said this is the way we should live, and all of us have failed to meet it. All right? The Bible says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. 
So that's all of us. But when we fail to meet that, the consequences of that is separation from God and death. It's judgment. And do you know what? The enemy actually has every right to come along and say, this is what you've done, this is the consequence. And they can bring accusations. But you know, when you go from being in the family of Adam to the family of Christ, something completely changes. Listen to this. This is Colossians 2, verse 13. And you who were dead in your sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, so this is when you're dead in sin, in Adam, God's made alive together with him in Christ, having forgiven us all our sins, all of them, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with the legal demands. So just imagine here, Here's, I know, Satan, and he's got a flip chart, and he's there, and he's counting. He's like, whoop, he slipped up again, that's on there. And he's saying, look, legal demands, legally, that requires you to be dead and separated from God. And he's right. He's right, except when Jesus came, when Jesus died the penalty for his sin, Colossians 2 says this. He says he cancelled that record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside. He nailed it on the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them. What we were, it was not possible for us to do, Jesus did. And not only has he taken away your sin, but every accuser that comes to you He has put them to open shame because he's paid in full the price for your sin. In other words, the payment required for your sin has been paid in full. There is not one accusation this morning that can stick on you, Christian, if you are in Christ Jesus. God didn't ignore the law. He didn't cancel the law. He says he fulfilled the law. He did everything necessary. We sold ourselves cheap, guys. And he bought us with a great price. With a great price. So when you sin, when you make mistakes, when Satan the accuser brings his accusations and his penalties, our response as Christians now can be say, paid in full. You look look at the cross, paid in full. There is now no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. We sang that this morning. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. So sin for the Christian is is no longer a legal issue, but it is a relational one. It is a relational one. Let me explain. See, I'm... I have the privilege to be married to Louise. We're in our 13th year of marriage. And we are legally married. It's legally binding. We've got covenantal promises that we will always be together. But that doesn't mean that I don't sometimes hurt and upset Louise. It doesn't mean that I don't sometimes sin against her. At times I might say things that are wrong. I might do things that don't um, honor her. But at no point does it ever break my covenant relationship with her. But I can grieve her, can't I? And you see, 
what we've got to understand is that when I mess up or when I do something wrong, God's promise is that once, you, once you're in his grasp, once you're in his hand, nothing can separate you from the love of God. That, that relationship, that covenantal binding relationship, God says, I'll give my life for you. You're now mine. Your, your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. But that doesn't mean when we're in relationship with God, when we do these things, he thinks it's okay. Actually, we can grieve God's heart, just like I can with Lou. It doesn't cut my relationship off, but it does mean I can grieve her heart, and it means I can grieve God's heart. He wants all of our hearts, not just the comfortable bits, not just the Sunday heart. Every day of the week, God wants our whole hearts. We're in relationship with him. We have to understand that identity is not wrapped up in how good or how badly you feel you're doing. Because the payment for our sin and the security of our relationship with God is based wholly on Jesus Christ, not on our own performance or situation. We have got to get a right handle on our identity, folks. If if we're even going to attempt to live a life for Christ and walk in the fullness of what he's won for us, we've got to know who we are. We've got to know where we're positioned. We've got to know who the righteous one is and that he's fighting for us. And the only way we can walk in newness of life is if we understand that Christ isn't simply an add-on to our old life. But that old life has been completely done away with and we have been given. We, have been, we are new creations. We've been made completely new. We don't live like we used to live. That life is dead and buried. It's gone with Christ. Now we have new resurrected life with him. And what I find so often is that our minds and our hearts are often trying to play catch-up with the reality in God's Word. Do you, do you find that? So the second thing that I just want to pick out of these passages is this idea of the battle for our minds. Because from what I understand, life should look and feel different for the believer. Right? hear that. It should feel and it should look different for the believer. And therefore our mindset and our perspective needs to be aligned with what it says in God's Word. I find it really interesting how much the Apostle Paul refers to knowledge and understanding through these passages that we just read. Let me just pick out a few of them. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Verse 8. We believe that we also live with him. Right? We're talking about understanding. Verse 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. All right, he goes on. Verse 11, so you must also consider, all right, think of yourselves as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let me just be really frank. I think so the reason that many of us can sometimes struggle so much in a life of sin is because we are either we're still living in a life of sin and you're just in religion, or actually, you just, your mind is still playing catch-up with the fact that actually God has taken you from one life and given you a brand new life and you're still living the way that you used to. The question for the believer isn't, have we got newness of life? The question is, are we walking in the newness of life? That's, that's what he says, isn't it? He says that we might walk in newness of life. And that is so often fought and won in our minds in our understanding. So Romans 12, verse 2. I know I'm dotting around a little bit, but these are just things, thoughts that I've had, and I just think they're going to hopefully help us. 
He says this. In fact, this was the first memory verse I ever memorized because Matt Beanie, uh, someone who used to be here, said, I'll give you a Mars bar if you remember that by next week. So I did, you know. Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. All right, spiritual act of worship. Why? So, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. All right, he's talking to believers. There's got to be something of a transformation, the renewing of our minds. 2 Corinthians 10.5. Take every thought captive for the obedience of Christ. Ephesians 1.17. I found this really interesting when I looked at it afresh. This is the Apostle Paul kind of writing to the church. He says, I pray that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. It's almost as though God knew that we would struggle with this. We've got to know. We've got to have fresh revelation of who it is that we are in. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. How, how can I walk a life living for him if I'm just worried about me? It's about him. I've got to renew my mind. And the enemy knows that if I don't get a grasp of the truth and don't understand and act in the reality of my new identity, we will never, ever be able to reign in life as the Bible commands us to. In fact, instead of reigning in life, you'll probably end up reigning in religion. You will. Because if Jesus isn't the focus, you can end up loving church and missing Jesus. I think many of us, sometimes we think, man, am I just really religious here? Or am I in relationship here? And the reason Paul tells us to fight for truth and not feelings is because we don't always feel okay, do we? Is there anyone in here who always feels brilliant? <laughs> oh, man. If, if I align my understanding of Scripture to my feelings, they're going to be all over the place. It's not just about keeping a positive mental attitude. Because a positive mental attitude is only as strong as my ability to sustain it. You think about that. Just think about the idea, self-help. Just that title, you know, you could go down Waterstones and there'll be books and books and books on self-help. The problem with self-help is that when you get to the end of yourself, you can't help. Isn't it? That's, that's the whole point of the gospel. This, this, this isn't about a positive mental attitude, okay? Living out of your identity in Christ is as strong as the God who is able to sustain it. That's different, isn't it? The one who is able to fulfill the promise. And it says in the Bible that all of his promises are yes and amen in Jesus. Not one's going to fall. Not one's going to fail. Now listen, I, I, don't, I really don't want to be insensitive. I don't want to downplay the issues in our lives because I'm, I'm aware that there are so many different... There's pain, there's hurt, there's difficulties. I, I know that. There's sickness, there's sin. There's lots of things, all of them in this room. I know that, all right? I don't think, though, my job is to fix your problems. 
But I think actually when we're to encourage and admonish one another, our job is to fix problems. I think my job, I feel my job is to point you to Jesus and remind you about who you are and where you're situated. That's my job. Because regardless of the problem, regardless of the situation, and I know they're painful and I know they're difficult, but the answer is always, always Jesus. It's always Jesus. Because as soon as my mind are off of Jesus and his promises, they're on me and my problems. As soon as I take my eyes off of Jesus and his promises, they say very quickly, go on me and my problems. Just think about this for a minute. The only reason God could command you not to grumble is because it's not about you, it's all about him. It's about Jesus. And I just, I don't, I don't think passages like this give much room for a victim mentality. To think like an orphan. I just don't see it. God's not about survival. He's about fullness of life. Fullness of life like Christ has. What does he say? Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We need to try and change our mindset away from me and my issues to me and my purpose and my freedom in him. When I get in the place, make a mighty band when we step on the stage. Not my work, just my race. I'm step on the base and I'm running my race. Some man hate, but we don't watch space. And if for the long run, this ain't the phase. David the Gayer, man got saved. A fame with a prayer, come my God reign. Back with a bang, no. somehow got to wage war on sin so Paul goes on to say let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life right now this is why we need to know our true identity you see a wrong identity leads us to believe that we're something just trying to produce something else as I'm actually an apple trying to produce orange juice. No, you were one thing, and God has completely turned you into something different. You're a new creation. So it's not that we have to try and be holy. It's not that I've got to try and be righteous. 
We don't try. We situate ourselves with God, the Holy One, and His holiness. We live out of a place of holiness. We submit to God and let Him change us. So when, you're, when you become a Christian, your heart of stone gets changed to a heart of flesh, and our desires change, our motives change, our attitudes change, our behaviors change, our outlook and perspective changes. The Christ in you naturally produces Christ-like fruit. Many of us need to get a lot more radical when it comes to dealing with sin. A lot more radical when it comes to dealing with sin. One of the hallmarks of a spirit-filled believer is one who is not willing to settle or compromise in areas of sin in their life. It's interesting that that word reign is used twice over these couple of chapters. You've either got reigning in life or you've got reigning in sin. Sin reigns. And at the heart of sin is this gospel to self. Why don't the band just come up while we just round this up? If you want a strong Christianity, then you need, to, you need death to self in order for life to reign. All right? Jesus is not an add-on to your life. You need death to self in order to reign in life. And too often, I think, sometimes we can hear an add-on gospel which talks about the benefits of following Jesus without the cost of following him. We talk about this free gift. On one level, yes, it's a free gift, but do you know what? It really isn't because it costs you everything to follow him. Jesus talks about parables, like you go and sell everything you had so that you can get the pearl of great price. And so what we end up with actually is people living for God while still sleeping with their girlfriend and going out and drinking on the weekend. And getting drunk on the weekend. Nothing wrong with drinking. But they're not compatible. Paul says, but why continue in sin? You're dead to that life of sin. You You now have the power and the authority and the control to be able to say no. That's what it is. That's what the Bible says. And to live in righteousness. It costs to follow Jesus. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness, unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Why don't we stand up just as we respond? And where I may have even run over a little bit. But we're just going to um, just give a couple of minutes to respond. I just want to... So we're going to sing a song in a minute, and I'm sure Paul will help us in terms of how we're going to apply this. But there's a few areas that I really felt when I was preparing this, God put on my heart that he would want people to respond uh, with. And they kind of nearly, well, they pretty much follow the points that I've just spoken through. The first one is about having your identity in Christ. And my question to you, why don't we just close our eyes and just lift our hands, because this is a great opportunity for these couple of minutes for the Holy Spirit to just come and just talk to you. My question is, where are you positioned? What is your identity? Because your identity is either in self or it's in Christ Jesus. You're either in him or you're of the world. 
So there'll be people in here that have maybe come in for the first time, and if you're honest, I've got no idea what that guy said, but what I do understand is that my life at the moment is living for myself, and I was made to live for God. Today, you can become a Christian and give your life to him. I think there'll be people in here that have been in church and doing the Christian stuff, and actually, as I've been talking, there's been a bit of a conviction. I think, God, I've loved your church more than you. I think my identity has been wrapped up in all these things that I've done and not in who I am. So there's an opportunity for you to say, God, I just want to recommit myself and say, you are the Lord of my life. And I live for you, not for the church. I love the church. I'm called to be part of the church. I'm called to serve the church, but I'm only found in you. And then the second thing is this whole thing of battling for our minds. I feel there are some people here that are so stuck. They've taken their eyes off of Jesus for so long. They're struggling to get their eyes back on him again. I think today what we want to do is like Paul prayed in Ephesians, God give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you more. I want to ask Holy Spirit that he comes along and he helps to lift your eyes a little bit away from your problems and to his promises. And then the last thing is, there will be many of us in here that are living with compromise in our life and you know exactly what it is. Spirit-filled believer doesn't live in compromise but we wage war with sin it's not good enough. So today, when I say, God, I choose today to repent, which means not just saying sorry and carrying on. It means I want to put things in place. I need to be radical with this. I need to cut it off. Jesus says it's better to gouge out your eye, chop off your... We need to get radical with this stuff. God, today I'm going to choose. I do not want to live like that anymore. Might it be helpful to even talk to someone about that that you trust? So why don't you just have 30 seconds now in quiet just to ask God to speak to you and then we're just going to sing a song declaring that grace abounds, that our chains have been broken, that we're victorious in him and to come back to those truths and then we're just going to respond in the time of ministry. Okay?